Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Literally Heinous. We have a very special episode, a very special guest. My bestie girl, Duke, is here to talk about Britney's memoir. Bestie. Hey, girl. Hey, baby. How's it Yay. going, bestie? Thank you so much for having me. I love your Britney shirt. So if you're listening just to audio only, Duke is wearing a fabulous Britney t-shirt. It's giving vintage, nostalgia, pop glam girl, all mixed I- into one. Love that. So this episode was actually Duke's idea because I did not, I knew that Brittany had a memoir coming out. I didn't really know when it was, but I said to Duke, I was like, we should read Julia Fox's. And Duke was like, I hear that. And I raise you Brittany's that comes out the next week. And I was like, <laughs> done, done. I love Shift Julia Fox. Court. I still want to read it, but you sure. hats off to Duke for making me get the book. This is a full reset. I just felt like it had to be done and i feel like we can execute it properly over anybody else so so it was meant Duke to be it's like pop music music girly like when when you think of stan twitter that's Duke. is that okay <laughs> to me. say that um, i'm walking stan twitter it's literally on my corpse it's gonna my it's gonna say that's the epitome of my soul is stan twitter so so you're like a retired stan twitter or retired are you still active stan. no i'm i would say i'm a retired stan in the sense of that like i now have like a career um like, so I'm a flight attendant for Delta. So I'm yes. kind of, you know, whimsing, flying through the air all the time. And it does kind of, you have to set some time alone for yourself. And I feel like Stan Twitter does take a lot of your energy, you know, you're putting into other people's lives. So mm-hmm. I feel like I definitely have shifted into more focusing on myself, but it is definitely my form of entertainment when I need to just escape reality. So it's still there. Stan Twitter will always be a part of you, like a part of me too. I briefly had a Stan Twitter account for Ariana Grande, but like I couldn't keep up. Like it was too much admin. It's too much work. And you know what? Hats off to the ones that can make it a full-time job. I salute you because it takes so much attention to detail, Um, but it is definitely taxing on the mind and soul for sure. Definitely. So what is your relationship to Britney Spears? How long have you been a fan? You know, I was thinking about this today when I was driving earlier because I was getting ready for this podcast. And I'm like, it is insane to me how much Britney Spears has shaped kind of who I am as a person. You know, I grew up in a small town in Indiana and, you know, Mm -hmm. she comes from a small town in Louisiana. And, you know, I was very shy growing up. She was very shy growing up as as she also talks about in her book. And um, when I was like, I want to say four or five years old, my cousin had a Britney Spears Barbie doll, like pink stage. I can picture it in my mind. And I remember just being so fascinated by what a powerful female she was. And just, it was like a Barbie doll dancing around on a stage. It was just revolving, but I just was like captivated. I felt she was like a superhero. Um, and so that's, that became my stage. She, they gave me the gift and then I fell in love with her music. Baby One More Time was my first album um, that I ever had. And my first concert that my grandpa and mom took me to when I was like seven. So she was a lot of first for me, but really where I was going with that is that she kind of helped me embrace my femininity within Mm -hmm. myself. I think she's a powerful force when it comes to female empowerment. She was like one of the OGs with that. So So how many times have you seen Britney? I've seen Britney probably, I would say about seven times. That's about seven times. So is that like almost every tour? Um, there were like the two or three that I missed because I was also very young. Um, but I did see her on her in the book. She re- she talks about it, the Dream Within a Dream tour, which was was in my opinion her biggest tour of her whole entire career. And um, they actually did a Las Vegas special, which was incredible. That was on uh, HBO at the time. 
I went to that one, sat in the nosebleeds. That was my first concert. Um, fell in love with performing. Then I actually was a dancer when I was younger in school, and Brittany kind of brought that out of me. Um, and then I also saw her at the Circus World Tour. I saw her at the Femme Fatale World Tour about three different times. Saw her in Las Vegas at her residency twice, which we can get into that in a little bit because that yes. was, I have some, some memories from that. But yeah, okay. so I've been very fortunate. That is so awesome. Yeah, I, I think – I don't want to say she was my first CD, but I think that she was. Like, I think Oops, I Did It Again was my first CD. I love that. That's a very, that's one of my faves. That's a, that's a good album. The album cover and the beads. It's just, it's a yeah. vision. It's it a vision, vision for sure. Cool. So let's get into the memoir. Um, first yeah. of all, just overall thoughts on the book. It, this sounds crazy, but it was very emotional. I mean, not doesn't sound crazy, but I mean, I mean, I cried multiple times throughout this book and tears bawling down my eyes just because I've always felt this sort of innocence with Brittany. And I think we all kind of have, like, she's such, it's like, we all feel like we know her a little bit growing up with her. She has such a sweet soul and she really, it isn't about all the glitz and the glamour. She's just a girl with a talent that just wants to perform her art and captivate it, you know, beautifully. And I feel that she has always wanted nothing more than that. And she's been robbed of a lot of you know, just everyday life joys that we all experience as human beings, she had robbed from her. And um, I always wanted to hear her version of the story. And so to hear it, it almost felt kind of like outer body crazy because I followed her my whole life. Um, so I can hear her voice mm -hmm. as I'm reading it. I can hear the words coming out of her, her little Southern accent. I can hear it. And um, so it was very personal for me. Yeah, I agree with that. It was intense to read like the kind of book that made me so mad I needed to put it down and like walk around the apartment well and I will tell you I don't recommend this um unless you're you have all the time I actually read the whole book in one day one day and um and I don't and the only reason I say I don't recommend that is because it is like you just said you had to get up and walk around it is very emotionally taxing and I mean anybody with a human heart is going to feel something from this book just as for another human being to feel like a prisoner in their own life. I mean, we all know what it feels like to live life, but to yeah. have little experiences like driving your car or hanging out with your friends or spending your own money or just to have that robbed of you, I don't think any of us can really imagine what that would be like. Yeah. Um, it, it was crazy. I lo was like telling snippets to Jack, my boyfriend, just like, you'll never believe what they did to her because people just don't realize how bad it was. Um, they don't realize. They don't. So let's go ahead and get into it. So Brittany is from Louisiana, really small town, Louisiana, Southern gal. She opens up talking about her like generational, like her, was it her great grandfather or her grandfather? Um, so she's talking about her grandfather. So Jamie Spears, her father's father, which I didn't know any of this. So this as an avid Brittany stand that thought I knew everything. It was really interesting for me to be, it's like, it almost was a part of the puzzle that was always missing. It really was yeah. a key factor. It's very obvious. Like you can look at Brittany's history and see like, Oh, this person has an extremely toxic family. But like yeah. when you really like family dynamics, aren't just like what it seems like it goes back generations and generations. Cause traumas passed down generationally. Absolutely. Um, so her grandmother, so Jamie, her father, AKA the devil, his mother, she had a baby and lost the baby after three months, the baby died. Yes. And naturally she was very, you know, that is something that is like inconsolable. Excruciating. So was, yeah. Excruciating. And 
Jamie's father, so his dad, put her away in a mental facility. Yeah. Like an insane asylum, basically, because this was probably back in the 50s. Yes, and this was old actually put her on lithium, which famously is the drug that Brittany was put on. After the grandmother gets out of the mental facility, a few months or years later, she ends up committing suicide on the grave of the baby that passed which away. Which is so darkly poetic. It's just like, oh my goodness, that's like, that's like kind of a movie. When I, when I read that, I was just like, you don't, I mean, of course, I just, that really, that was a jaw dropper for sure. And Jamie's father was a tyrant, just a bad person. He abused Jamie. And this is probably the only time in the book that you will ever have compassion for Jamie, just abused as a kid, emotionally, physically, um, and he even sexually abused his own daughter. So Jamie's sister was sexually abused by her own father. And I believe he remarried and put his second wife in a mental institution as well. He had four wives. I believe it was three or four wives is what, he, what the book said. Um, so that was pretty crazy. I yeah. think she was the third. Yeah. Um, so that was the main takeaway of her childhood. Her childhood was definitely chaotic. Um, she obviously grew up very poor in a really small town. But the way that she describes it was very, like, kind of free reign. Like, the kids would, like, run around. And, like, it sounded fun. Like, it was def- it was growing up in, like, the 80s completely lawless her father drank a lot but he was never physically abusive towards them i think she described him more as the kind of drunk that he would like just disappear for three days and she said that that was the best yes Um, and yes (laughs) that's that's something i can kind of relate to personally with some childhood trauma that and sometimes it's better just to have the quiet uh so i i i I sympathize with her on that a lot definitely And she has an older brother, Brian, who she was really close to and really idolized. Um, And it's important to note that Jamie Lynn did not come around for a while. Jamie Lynn and Brittany, I believe, are eight years apart. So for the majority of Brittany's formative years, it was just her and Brian. Right. She she always loved to sing and dance. Um, She auditioned for the Mickey Mouse Club at eight. Um, And if you're like under the age of 25, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse was it was kind of like SNL for kids almost like on Disney. It was like an after school variety show, Justin Timberlake, Ryan Gosling, Christina Aguilera, Jessica Simpson. Like that was the thing. I had never watched it. It's a little, I think before our time, our time. Yeah. Um, she auditioned, didn't get in because she was too young. She was eight. Um, she ends up going to New York city with Felicia, right? Felicia. Who yes. Fee. Fee. So Ooh. Fee's is kind of an important character in the story. Fee's a family friend. Yes. Sort of like a second mother. She and Fee live in New York City because she's an understudy on Broadway with Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. <laughs> yes, which is just like, what? Can what? you imagine Britney Spears and Natalie Portman understudying for the same part? I can't. Um, she re-auditions for Mickey Mouse Clubhouse at 11 years old and gets in. So it's funny because I recently just read Jessica Simpson's memoir. So I got to hear about these Mickey Mouse Clubhouse auditions from both Jessica and Brittany's perspectives. So she re-auditions for Mickey Mouse Clubhouse when she was 11. Um, and it was funny because I recently read Jessica Simpson's memoir. So I got to oh, hear like jealous. both their sides of the stories. Yeah. So uh-huh. I read about this audition from Jessica Simpson's perspective and she didn't get in because she was beat out by Brittany and Christina. Um, mm. and then I got to read Brittany's perspective. She actually didn't mention Jessica Simpson. 
Um, no, she did not. <laughs> she did not mention Jessica Simpson, but that's where she met Justin Timberlake, Ryan Gosling, Christina Aguilera. Um, so she does get into Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. So she goes to Orlando for a training camp for about a year and a half. And they film there for a year and a half, do all sorts of training, acting, singing, dancing, everything like that. Um, she returns back to Louisiana. And for the next, like, I would say five years, she lives a pretty normal middle and high school life. So she then moves back to New York City for, uh, with Felicia at 15 to sing for some record labels. Um, she meets Max Martin there, and then that's when they record a lot of Hit Me Baby One More Time, which is so iconic. And it's also crazy how she refers to this you know, producer that she just casually has a dinner with, and then the, the fire, the table catches on fire, and... And then it's like, it's Max Martin, who's just like such a staple in himself. Like it's, I just, I think it's insane. The names that are brought up in this book, how they're just so casually just people that she's around. But I mean, they're, they're people in music history, pop history. Yeah. If you don't know the name Max Martin, he's pretty much the most famous pop music producer. I don't know where he was in his career when he recorded Baby One More Time, the album with Britney, but he has done everything everyone if you're working with max martin like you're making a hit they even there's a musical on broadway right now called and juliet so bad that Um, is so bad i know which is like a jukebox musical so it's like a musical with like songs that are already real songs and it's like a modern romeo and juliet but every song in that musical is a max martin song they literally made an entire musical about his discography So she records Baby One More Time with Max Martin at 15, which is nuts. She records the whole album with him. Um, And it was a huge success. So Britney, I feel like, differs from other pop stars, and she didn't really have a rise to fame. Like, once Baby One More Time came out in January of 99, she was famous. Well, and I want to, like, really point out to the fact that – You know, she was doing this when there wasn't like TikTok and there wasn't Instagram and there wasn't social media. And so for her to have a song skyrocket with a name that was not that well known, I mean, there was Mickey Mouse Club that had been out prior, but I mean, for it to blow up the way it did just based off of radio play, I mean, that is seriously a lot of, that says a lot about the talent itself and the song. I mean, not a lot of extra help there. Uh, just doing mall tours. I mean, if you think about that, for it to have blown up the way it did, it's really iconic. It's definitely really impressive. Um, So she was able to buy her mom a house to raise bitch-ass Jamie Lynn Spears in. Bitch-ass. Never watching Zoe 101 again. (laughs) Yeah, she settled her father's debts. She did all of that by May 99. Like, with the success of Baby One More Time, she, like, got her family out of their poverty, new house, debt settled, did all of that for her family. At that age. At that age, I'm thinking about, I think I worked at like a mall at that age. I'm like, what? Like, are you kidding? It's just, it's revolutionary. It really is. So she has the famous photo shoot with David LaChapelle for, I believe it was Rolling Stone. And this is a really famous picture. So if you look it up, you'll definitely recognize it. Like Google Britney Spears, David LaChapelle. Um, And she's famously in bed. She's holding a teddy bear. And it was really controversial. And I think it still is pretty controversial and I always like looked at that picture and looked at her like such a victim because she was 16 in that picture 
holding a teddy bear, wearing, like, a bra and, like, boy shorts in bed. Like, obviously, this play on pedophilia um, and just, like, the sexualization of, like, a baby girl. But she, the way that she talks about it, like, she loved the shoot. What are your thoughts on that? So my thoughts on this are very interesting because, so I actually, a lot of people may not know this, but, or they may, but it's about 10 to 13 years ago, her mom, Lynn Spears, released a memoir, which I highly recommend. Maybe you go read that um, if you ever get some free time, because it is kind of interesting to see the other perspective on this. I mean, I'm a Britney girl all the way, and I totally believe Britney's truth. But it's interesting because this specific moment of the David LaChapelle shoot at their home in Louisiana, her mom wrote about in her book. And it really, it bothers me more now because I remember her mom saying how much she felt like you know, Brittany didn't want to do the shoot and how, you know, as a mother, she felt she had no control and how it was a setup and like kind of how she, she kind of victimized Brittany on that shoot that like Brittany was forced to do it. Brittany had no control over it. Brittany wasn't comfortable and Lynn wasn't comfortable, but you know, they were overrun by like the executives and all that. And so for Brittany's book to come out and she say that she actually really did enjoy the shoot. It is interesting to see, you know, kind of makes you wonder what else has her mom been lying about? at that point. Yeah. Um, I'm glad to hear from Brittany on this, on this topic. Cause I always did really wonder about that. Cause I wasn't sure if she really felt good about it or not. She looks incredible. And I think it was iconic. Yeah. She does speak a lot about her sexuality because I like remember Brittany being just like this sex pot. Like I was yeah. like, I remember being too scared to ask my parents if I could go to her concert. <laughs> I understand because that, yeah. I just, I don't know, like, as a kid, I thought her concerts were just, like, one giant, like, sex thing. Sexcapade. Like, like, and I, would, I just remember thinking, like, I didn't even bother asking my parents to go because I was like, they're never going to let me. Like, that's not for kids. I'm not whatever. And right. she speaks about her sexuality, like, on stage and her stage presence and what she would wear. And she never alludes to feeling uncomfortable or forced to do anything. And you know what I love about it is she – the thing about Britney is I feel like people really do forget that she was a normal 19, 20, 21, 22 year old girl living mm-hmm. through that highlight of her career. And I feel like people don't ever stop. It's as, it's as simple as it is to think back, like you are, what were you feeling in those ages? Like, how were you feeling? You're coming to terms with that. Not, not a girl, not yet a woman. If you know the reference, you know the reference, but I mean, it's kind of like we all are wanting to feel desirable and we all want to feel confident and we all want to experiment with fashion and with different looks and, you know, loving the body that we're in. And I feel like now it's so praised, which I'm so thankful that it is. However, Brittany really is a true trailblazer that she had to take all that ridicule. And now it's so easily, yeah, it's, it's not even a thought now. So yeah. So Brittany gets into a relationship with Justin Timberlake. Um, They dated for four years and their relationship went public in September 2000 when she was just 18. Um, Just 18. I know. So she was in love with him, like categorically balls to the wall in love with him. And she mentions like she knew that he was sleeping around. And that really took me by surprise that really that was one of those there were a lot of moments in this book that just you think you know it all as a Britney stan and then something happens and you're like oh my goodness like it's a shocker and that for me was a shocker because Britney I don't care what she's a relationship girly like Britney's wifey material that is very clear in this book and it is insane to me it just shows how forgiving of a person she is though that she knew some of these things and she still puts in the respect of trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I've kind of felt that a lot in this book. And it doesn't seem that it was ever reciprocated from him to her, which is very unfortunate. 
Yes. So there was an instance where she did like make out with, I think it was, it was a dancer. Out with a, they were at a Latin club and they were feeling the music. They were dancing. They were, you know, Justin and her had been away from a long time and, you know, dancing, it brings out a very sexual side of you. And I of do course. think they were at a Latin club. I mean, what he was doing was like 25 times worse all the time. So basically that happens. She tells him and it like, and then her telling him just let him like use that as fodder basically and just pin that against her all the time so put a yeah we'll put a pin in that one quickly so she i think the biggest bombshell to come out of this book was that she got pregnant with justin timberlake's baby i think um, that was something none of us could have ever wrapped their heads around seeing where she was in her career then oh yes because she yeah. was at the height of the media attention, the career success, all of the accolades right at the height of it. Yeah. So he, she wants the baby. Like she was like ready. She is in love with him. She is a Southern girl. She does not believe in abortions. Like she doesn't want to get one. Um, but he insisted. And at his helm, they decide to do an at-home abortion with no numbing. Oh. The only people that knew was were Justin and Felicia, and she describes the pain from this at-home abortion as the worst pain she's ever been in in her whole life, bleeding, just the worst pain, the worst emotional trauma she's ever been through. And Justin just playing a guitar next to her, and I know. I just think it's like that's I I can't I can't fathom what that must have been like to have been in that much pain and feel like. It's just, you just got to write it out. It's just, it is what it is. That's not normal for a person to have to experience that. Justin Timberlake becomes really standoffish. He's making his solo album and he ends up breaking up with her over text in spring 2002. French. I know. So how long after the abortion was the breakup, do you think? The breakup, I want to say it was, it would be two years because she had the abortion in late 2000 and then the breakup was in 2002. Mm -hmm. So it was about two years of a span. Yeah. So because she made out with that dancer, he used that to kind of paint this image of her being a harlot and a cheater, which is terrible because that's what he did all the time. And can I point out that Brittany was in such a successful height of her career, she did not feel the need to compel to ruin his image or bash him for her own self gain because she was, you know, she's content within her accolades and everything she's done. It was very clear here that he used her, he used her success. He, he made her the villain to help benefit himself because he was not secure where he was at in his career. That is my personal opinion because no, somebody that truly true. is secure would not feel the need to do that. Hence why Brittany did not use yeah, that against him. Absolutely. So Brittany kind of has this reputational hit. And I think that we see this all the time. Like, pop culture image is really cyclical. Like we'll bring up a woman and like, she's everything she's on top of the world. And that can last for maybe two or three years until like allegations and reputation. And like, there's gotta be something. Which is wild because that still carries on to this day, unfortunately. So she kind of takes a big reputational hit in like 2003. She does this really scathing Diane Sawyer interview where Diane Sawyer like comes to her apartment and her management team put her up to this and like basically just annihilates her about being overly sexual, about being a cheater, having a shopping addiction. Um, she kind of, and this is like when, what I really remember is Brittany kind of just 
becoming this like meme. So this was very like Perez Hilton era and the prey were like party girls. And like, that was the thing. Like they're dumb, they're stupid, they're partiers. And like just making them look so incredibly dumb, like Britney, Paris, Lindsay, you know, the Holy Trinity, like Holy Trinity. Everything they do was like sensationalized. So she meets Kevin Federline, the no hit wonder in <laughs> Absolutely. I think like 2004 or 2003, they get engaged really quickly. And what she said she loved about Kevin is that he just held her. Do you remember that part in the memoir? I do remember in the in the hot tub, I believe. He just held her and or in the pool, but I remember she just said you know, a girl just wanting a man just to hold her. But she, I love how she also references that it's not that a girl needs a man, but it's just like sometimes you want someone to hold you and tell you everything's going to be okay. And I thought that was really beautiful how she kind of said, it's not that I'm saying I need a man for happiness. It's because even back then she was smart enough to know that that's not it. It's just sometimes we all as human beings want to feel someone just to hold us and tell us everything is going to be okay. So I think that's very... I thought it was poetic and very sweet of her to have said yeah, that. Yeah, and we don't realize, like, she's really on her own. Like, she's on financially her supporting her family that really didn't support her. Like, they were all just kind of – none of them were ever emotionally available. Like, the only true friend she really has is Felicia. So when someone comes around that can just, like, talk to her and hold her, that, that's what did her in. And that's what did her in. And it's – she said time and time again throughout interviews, and I remember just growing up watching them – for her, happiness is the simple things. It's the simple moments with humans and just the simplicity of just joy that another human being can give you. That's what mm-hmm. makes her happy. And yeah. it's not all the money and the fame. So I think that I completely can see where she would say that would have been a highlight for her. So they get married and they have two babies very quickly in 2005, 2006. I believe they're three months apart. Yes. Um, and immediately there's allegations of her being an unfit mother just everywhere anything that she would do and mom shaming is so real and so toxic that like of course when you're a celebrity as it is all eyes are on you like any mother i think would hate to have a camera on them all the time because it's tr- life is it's just all hard. Tri- it's it's trial and error just like life is trial and error how are yeah. you gonna know if you don't mess up some things it's no one's destined to be perfect yeah so she so Kevin's career starts taking off, obviously, because he's married to Britney Spears. Right. And one part that really stuck out to me was that when they were married at one point, he comes home from a party and he's like, Oh my god, you'll never believe it. Lindsay Ugh. Lohan and Justin Timberlake were there. And she would just the say like that went through my body. I know. And she would just say, like, oh yeah, like that's cool, being supportive. And she's like, bitch, like she invented those parties. She's the party of the parties. I mean, it's just like insane to me. And it's insane to me the amount of times this girl held her tongue because I, I salute her because I am not a person that can hold my tongue. And the amount of times that she held her tongue when she absolutely did not need to, that's a superpower in its own. I don't know how she did that for so long. So Kevin's recording his album, his first album, and he's not around the house. She's taking care of the kids completely by herself. And he, like, won't even let her come to the studio. Every time she tries to go to the recording studio, a bouncer that used to work for her is now working for Kevin and wouldn't let her in. And she could smell weed and see, like, dancers there. So, basically, they get a divorce, naturally. Um, And he's trying to paint her as an unfit mother. 
and trying to get full custody of the kids. So he keeps the kids from her. And I don't know how that is legal. I don't even know how that happened. I tried to reread it and I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure I'm glad you couldn't because I couldn't either. And I thought I missed like a page because I was like, I don't understand how this. Like, I do kind of feel like Brittany can be an an unreliable narrator sometimes. um, Because the random insertations of fucking the F word are, they crack me up too. Sometimes it's just a random one will just be thrown in there. I mean, sometimes you can just hear her. It's like she's talking more than it's being written. I feel like they're more conversational. Yes. So Kevin's keeping the kids from her for whatever reason. I think there there was a custody battle. And because, like, the media just puts everything that she does in the light, like, she obviously looks like a bad mother. And she doesn't have the kids. So this is when we get to the head shaving incident. And I will read a little bit of an excerpt from the novel or the memoir. In February, after not getting to see the boys for weeks and weeks, completely beside myself with grief, I went to plead to see them, and Kevin wouldn't let me in. Jaden was five months old, and Sean was 17 months old. The paparazzi watched it all happen. I can't describe how I felt. So she's, like, outside his house, banging on the door. He won't let her see the kids. I was humiliated, and so I that night I gave them some material. This is about the paparazzi. I went into a hair salon, took the clippers, and shaved off all my hair. Everyone thought it was hilarious. Look how crazy she is. But nobody seemed to understand that I was simply out of my mind with grief. My children had been taken away from me. And I can't relate to, like, having kids taken away from you, but I imagine that that's probably the worst thing to ever happen to any mother. I I think, and for it to happen, not only to happen to any mother, but for it to happen so publicly, I mean, that just takes any emotion and, and, you know, magnifies it times a thousand. So, and to have people sitting there laughing at you as it's happening, I mean, that is probably anybody's worst nightmare. And to have it happening to someone who literally could not be bothered to take care of his own children, and now that there's a custody battle in media and publicity and hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line, now he's an active father. And using your kids for a deploy for more money, it's yeah. just, it's like using them as a propaganda. It's really unfathomable. So another quote about her talking about being an unfit mother because i remember when that was happening like i remember the front page of the tabloids with one of her kids sitting on her lap while she was driving and that was a big thing like oh my god like she's driving with her kid on her lap like the kid should be in the back seat and she talks about it in here and says that like it was out of a parking lot and she was just trying to get out of there away from the paparazzi as quickly as possible like how could you even strap a baby into a car seat like that shit takes like five minutes when paparazzis are like outside of your car when I also remember there was an interview she did with though she refers it in the book, the Matt Lauer interview she did, she kind of talks about that incident. And if you think about a baby, if the baby's in the backseat of the car and there's 200 screaming men, strangers pounding on the window and the baby's crying, I mean, what if the door is accidentally unlocked in the back and mm-hmm. she's in the front? That's a quick window for someone to open the door. I mean, people can't really judge a situation that is so unique to her of what they would do in that moment. It's like fight or flight mode. You really just can't judge a mom for anything that she does unless it's like Casey Anthony because it's just like you never like you never really know like what's going on and what the reasoning is and you just like I don't know trust women I guess is the moral trust of the story. Trust women is the moral of the story period. So she says I it felt like the only thing that people wanted to talk about whether or not I was an unfit mother. 
not about how I'd made such a strong album while holding two babies on my hips and being pursued by dozens of dangerous men all day, every day. My management team quit. A bodyguard went to court with Gloria Allred by his side as a witness in the custody case. He said that I was doing drugs and he wasn't cross-examined. A court-appointed parenting coach said that I loved my children and they were clearly bonded. She also said there was nothing at all in my home that would be called abuse, but that part didn't make headlines. So she recorded Blackout, which is her fifth album, while she had the two babies. Um, and that was that's largely considered her best album. What and it's what's it's what's a kind of a random fun fact that I remember from an interview. Um, so Rihanna actually, Rihanna, she Good Girl Gone Bad came out a year after that, and she credits Blackout as one of the major influences for her um, production and her creative direction for that album. So it just shows you someone like to that artist statue. I mean, she really was a cultural reset with that album. Blackout is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's her only album to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like, that's a very high honor. It is regarded critically as her best album. It is not my personal favorite, but it's still seen as her best album. So she loses the kids. And obviously she has, she's panicking because you lost your kids. Like, that is the worst thing to happen to you. So at a certain point when she's, like, giving her kids back, because I think the... Kevin had more custody. She freaks out and just refuses to give them back, locks herself in the bathroom with her kid. And I know that my mom, like I think about, it makes me emotional because I think about like, if what if this were me and my mom? Like my mom would burn shit to the ground if someone took it away from her. Absolutely. And I'm sure the same with your mom too. So a SWAT team comes in, straps her to a gurney and takes her to a psych hospital. That moment for me, I remember being in Indiana and watching that on like YouTube, yeah. like when it was happening. And I remember just bawling my eyes out because it, it's like, how could someone at my age so young, and I'm sure you felt the same way, mm-hmm. you see she's the victim. I mean, you can see it in her eyes, like being framed for something. And everyone is just throwing like the pitchforks at her, like witch at the stake. It's just insane to me. That was probably one of the most emotional moments I think I have ever had for Brittany it was right there. I just can't imagine what and to think that the worst has not even come yet, but losing custody of your children and she can't go anywhere because of the paparazzi. And I we didn't talk about this, but while she was recording Blackout, it's the best album she ever recorded it. And she recorded it like 30 minutes a day, every day, because she like couldn't let the paparazzi know where she was. The paparazzi stalked her, like harassed her, assaulted her that like that's no freedom. Like she was in high speed car chases. To put it in perspective, this would never happen nowadays. She had 300 paparazzis assigned just to her. 300 strangers a day assigned just to her. Yeah. We just can't imagine that. And a mother of two, like two young babies, just like trying to live her life. And it's like everything that she does, if she makes a bitchy face, like she's sneering at her children. I don't know. It's just horrible what she went through. So – to what so now that we're kind of on the brink of the conservatorship to what extent do you think that Brittany needed intervention if at all i think if it was me looking back like who am i to judge i haven't been through it none of us are to judge mm-hmm. she needed a friend she needed yeah. a you know a parent she needed that person that just loves and cares about her and sits down with her, maybe go to therapy with her. I mean, we all, I love therapy. Therapy is mm-hmm. the most beneficial thing. We all can use it. 
maybe something as in what is really going on in deep inside and how can we help make you the best version of yourself? That's what anybody wants in life. Not a control of how can we get your assets? How can we get your money? And how it's very clear. The motive was not Britney. The motive was Britney's Britney Spears. The entertainer was who they were trying to repair, not Britney Jean, the, the girl inside. Yeah. I think she needed someone that loved and cared about her. I think it's as simple as that. Yeah. And she didn't have that, which she didn't have she needed security. Like she needed someone to like put an end to the paparazzi and people to realize that Kevin's a fucking idiot. So now we're getting into the conservatorship. So her mom tells her to come over one day and Brittany just knows that something is off. And at this point, Brittany's dating a paparazzo. Yep. Sam. Good old Sam. Yeah. Which is <laughs> definitely odd. Um, but whatever so she goes over to her mom's house and the SWAT team is there and they're there to take her and do a conservatorship and if you think about the level of a SWAT team I mean this tiny sweet southern girl a SWAT team I mean that to me will never where in your right mind you ever thought it needed that much enforcement that I just can't wrap my head around that this what, what what do we need a SWAT team for her she's not out doing horrible, heinous crimes against people. I just don't understand where a SWAT team would have ever been a necessary call. Yeah. And there's something to be said for, you know, if someone is doing something that is bad or like needs help, you have to meet them at the level that they're at. I mean, it's like how we like punish people for crimes and, or not we, but how like law enforcement does or how like, you know, if a student like cheats on a test, would you like berate them and beat them up? Like you have to like meet them or else they're going to like overreact. So this is where the conservatorship comes into play. And this is where we meet Lou Taylor, who is kind of like the front. Yes. The spawn of Satan. So she says, my father had struck up a close relationship with Lou Taylor, who he worshipped. She was front and center during the implementation of the conservatorship that would later allow them to control and take over my career. Lou, who just started a new company called TriStar Sports and Entertainment Group, was directly involved in calling the shots right before my conservatorship. At the time, she had few real clients, and she basically used my name to build her company. It's later revealed in the book that at that time... Jamie Spears owed Lou Taylor $40,000. So that's a conflict of interest right then and there. Absolutely. So she explains conservatorships a little bit and how their conservatorships are the last resort. They're for people that cannot do anything themselves. And she says, but I was highly functional. I'd just done the best album of my career. I was making a lot of people a lot of money, especially my father, who I found out was taking a bigger salary than he paid me. He paid himself more than $6 million while paying others close to him tens of millions more. Infuriating. Infuriating. Just, I mean, infuriating. Yeah. We're talking millions. That is millions of dollars that is just i don't think anybody can wrap their head around what that would feel like i think like the biggest thing to me that really pissed me off is just like how many people were on her payroll and like how much she was giving them like starting with kevin so kevin did some crazy ass thing basically to like make her file for the divorce so that she had to pay him so she paid his legal fees his settlement of whatever because they probably didn't sign a prenup because she's southern 
No offense to people from trusting. the South. Nope. Trusting um, people. Open the leave trusting door unlocked. People. They so leave she's the door unlocked. Paying him his alimony, also paying him child support and his legal fees. And she's paying him extra money to take her kids on tour. So she's got all of that. Her dad is taking this huge check. She's paying her own her dad's lawyer fees to get her in the conservatorship. So she's like paying to be in this conservatorship and she's paying her lawyer who she didn't even pick. They wouldn't even let her pick her own lawyer. And they said that she couldn't pick her own lawyer. Court appointed lawyer. So another thing that stuck out to me is that she has always been of sound in mind. Like Brittany never had a drug problem, like a drug or alcohol problem. And for me, it's so crazy how they did create her out to be like a movie character. They would take little, they had, if you think about it, Jamie and all them would, they had the paparazzi to their advantage. They could take little clips of her walking out of a gas station and looking stressed out and say, see, look, she's clearly under the influence here. I mean, you can, it's all perception. That 10 Mm -hmm. second clip can be perceived and portrayed out to be something. She's on drugs. She's high. She's drunk. When in reality, no, again, like we've said multiple times, no one knows what that would feel like to have that many strangers yelling at you and screaming at you unless you are that person. And she did talk about her party days a little bit. So this is when her kids were really, really little. And she was only like, she was 24 at the time, like 25. And she was going out with Paris Hilton. And she really said that she just like drank and would take an Adderall. Like she didn't do hard drugs. She didn't like party any more than an average mid 20 something would and when she did go like her mom would watch after her kids when i think if any 20 you know us being in our 20s and i feel like anybody listening to this that's in their 20s were to have read that we're all gonna look up and be like okay and like what it's just crazy to think that it was made out to be some heinous crime heinous uh, crime (laughs) when in reality it is an it's a day in the life of a 20 year old i mean i don't understand why everything was brought to this extreme level it's just crazy where time has went with that you know to now compared to yeah then. and this was in the era of like just annihilating young starlets like Lindsay, paris and britney like i feel like it was all anyone could talk about like i remember seeing perez hilton and i would try to sneak it because my parents would read it and i would always try to read <laughs> perez hilton and like the tabloids but it was just this obsession with like young women partying And this, like, vindication of them. Um, One thing that stuck out to me, did you read Paris Hilton's memoir? I have not, and I regret it every day of my life, and I have been saying I'm going to read it. So now after this, this is going to be my next one because I'm a big Paris fan. So I have not. So it kind of reminded me of this one part of Paris Hilton's memoir. And obviously you know Paris Hilton's story. Like, she was sent to this, like, horrible, abusive camp. Not camp. I don't know. But, like – In Utah, yeah. In Utah and just – Anyone that doesn't know Paris's story, I implore you to understand what she went through. It's incredible. So she has, and that's a lot of, that was like three years of her life as a teenager, being like locked up in a cell, like forced to clean, like whatever. Um, So she had a lot of anxieties around solitary confinement, obviously, like has like claustrophobia. All of this is to say at one point, Paris Hilton in her 20s, she gets a DUI and it was like pretty minor I mean, getting a DUI for her was so easy because, like, everyone knew where she was all the time, so you could just, like, call the cops. It was around when Lindsay Lohan got one, too. That's why all three of them kind of got linked together. If you weren't getting a DUI, you weren't cool, you know? So (laughs) Paris gets a DUI, and 
it was a pretty minor DUI. Like her sentencing really should have just been community service. And the judge for the case made it a point to make a story out of her. And he gave her the most extreme punishment and he gave her solitary confinement for a day. Which is so not fair because it's just because the world is watching her. These people have never acted like they want to say the word role model. I use very loosely because we're all humans and we're going to have our imperfections for them to be punished because the world watches what they do is absolutely unfathomable to me. Like I cannot wrap my head around that. And the judge issued a statement and said something to the effect of like, I want to make her hurt and make her suffer. And just basically alluding to like people just hated them so much and just wanted to watch them suffer. And it's like, for what? Like, what did they even do? For me, it just shows you like the narrative was always like the drama, the evil. And I'm like, people don't realize these are human beings that go home and close the door and ball their eyes out at night. Like they are not objects. I feel like social media has kind of showed where now people can show the imperfections whereas then it was like the tv the media controlled their image they had no control over their yeah it's really terrible and it was just an obsession that society had with like what are it was those three lindsay it was the cancel culture back then i mean the cancel culture has been around if you think about it that was cancel culture i know but it's now like i feel like things have gotten so much better but also like worse in different ways but like better and worse in different ways yeah yeah, like I think if the Britney like unfit mother stuff were happening now, I think there'd be a large conversation around like anti-mom shaming. Um, Absolutely. Because now that's such a big like topic. Anyways, um, so to the conservatorship, Jean is making $16,000 per month plus a percentage of Britney's deals. And the minute the conservatorship starts, which is in 2008, Britney's booked and busy. She's a guest on How I Met Your Mother. She's recording an entire album. She goes on the circus tour. Like, she doesn't rest. The conservative conservatorships are really for, like, old people, like, ancient people. But she's all over the world and just, like, so busy. So it's basically, how is she able, like, if she can't even feed herself, which is basically what a conservatorship says... How was she able to embark on a world tour and record an album and light the Christmas tree and be on the X Factor and guest on all these shows? I think that I hope and, you know, my wish is that we never have to witness this with any other human being, a celebrity ever again. Because it's if you look back and you watch the performances, which we all were and watch the interviews, it is insane to even think about how she would live what looks like such a glamorous life during the day Mm -hmm. and basically be a prisoner at night. It's insane to think that was the same human being going through Mm -hmm. that. And I think it's such a bizarre, bizarre, I think is the perfect word for it. It's so bizarre that this was even not one person felt like this wasn't okay. And I think there were people, but they were too scared to say anything. The ones that did. Yeah. So she begins her Vegas residency in 2013, which I believe went on for about four years, if I'm correct. Selling highest grossing. It started the era of Vegas residencies for main modern pop girlies and guys. Um, it reset Las Vegas. It made Las Vegas residencies cool again, to, yeah. to be fair. Yeah. So this is what she says here. I was given an allowance of about $2,000 a week. If I wanted a pair of sneakers that my conservators didn't think I needed, I would be told no. This was despite the fact that I did 248 shows and sold more than 900,000 tickets in Vegas. Each show paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. 
she says that one of the nights she tries to go out to dinner with friends and her dancers and tried to pick up the tab for the whole party. The check was $1,000 and the card was declined because she didn't have enough money in her allowance. I, I think that is like a, that's a moment of silence there. That is just Britney Spears card being declined yeah. because of her allowance. Can you imagine the looks in that room? And can you imagine the confusion? I mean, if that wasn't a red flag and an alarm to anybody around her yeah. in that room, I can't imagine what would be. So in her conservatorship, she, everything was controlled. So they set up parental controls on her iPhone. And they like mirrored her iPhone onto an iPad so that they could monitor any activity that she was doing on her phone, including messages between her and her lawyer, which is just infuriating. Infuriating. Not a moment of privacy. It's just such, like, I could list like so many of these. This is why the book was so frustrating. It's because like, it, it just continues to chip away at every single level of her humanity. And just like all it's all of these little stories it's the phone it's the food monitoring it's the allowance just everything like at another point she's caught taking energy supplements which are like over-the-counter normal energy supplements and her dad sends her to rehab for drug abuse and see i think this is one of those things where i had somebody the other day they were like oh i would i'm not really a big britney fan so i wouldn't read the book and and that's where i even said you know i don't think you even have to be an avid britney stan or fan to read this book because it really it's just like anybody with human empathy can find interest in this book because to wrap your head around that somebody has lived this way it really makes you grateful for the simple joys of being able just to go to cvs and buy a liquid iv and throw it in your water and think they're not going to send me to rehab i mean that is just a wild concept to think of. It's so jarring to me. And then after that, as a punishment, she was for a whole year because of her dad, her diet was chicken and canned vegetables for a year. Ugh, sounds disgusting. Can you imagine just not even being able to eat what you want? No, because I eat horribly. So I cannot imagine that at all. Literally, but no, my hot just, Cheetos, none of it. No, the level of just lack of fundamental rights is astounding. Like this is the part in that this was the worst, just learning about the conservatorship. Like I would regularly like have to take breaks from this book. It was so hard to read. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a prisoner. It's a prisoner in your own life is a hundred percent what it is. And this went on for 13 years and we're not even at the worst of it yet. Okay. So let's, let's get to the worst of it. So she is still doing the Vegas tour. I believe this is around like 2018. She says the Vegas show hadn't been canceled. I was hiring new dancers going over the routine at rehearsals. One day I'd been working with all the dancers and one of them shows a different dance move, a new move for us to do. She says, I don't want to do it. It's too hard. She said, doesn't seem like a big deal, but suddenly her team and the directors disappeared into a room. I got the feeling that I did something horribly wrong. And I didn't understand how me not wanting to do one dance move in a routine could qualify as that. I mean, I was almost five years older than I'd been when the residency first started and my body changed too. So this is when Jamie says that he found energy supplements in her purse and <sighs> a flashy doctor comes. So some doctor comes to the house against her will, sits her down, and tests her cognitive abilities for an hour. And this is for energy supplements, okay? 
<laughs> my father told me that this doctor had concluded that I bombed the test. She said you failed. Now you have to go to a mental health facility. There's something severely wrong with you. So now she's getting sent to this rehab program in Beverly Hills. And he says to her, it'll cost you $60,000 a month. More mm. money that like she is just like, she's a cash cow at this point. She, cash cow is a great way to put it. That's exactly what it is. So she goes to this facility. He doesn't tell her how long she's going to be there. He says maybe a month, maybe two months, maybe three. It all depends on how well you do and how well you demonstrate your capabilities. She fights back. She says, what if I don't go? He says that if she didn't go, then she'd have to go to court. You'd be embarrassed. We'll make you look like a fucking idiot and you won't win. She says, I think that they're trying to kill me. <sighs> and also what's important to note is that the leverage that they have over her for this whole conservatorship is her kids. And Which just, is the ultimate leverage. That's that, the ultimate that's leverage. That's the ultimate leverage. It's the love of your life. They always say a mother would... You know, they're closer to their children than they are themselves. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's a part of herself that they're taking from her, an extension of her. And it's incredibly manipulative. So anytime she didn't want to do anything, it was just more punishment. Well, you're not going to see your kids for another week now. Well, your kids aren't going to come on your tour. Like that level of, it's just like you can't comprehend it. And then just going back to the cognitive tests that she had to do telling someone like you failed all of those tests there's something wrong with you that is psychological warfare and what kind of goes back to what you said you have to meet people on their level i there is a no way i don't care how horrible someone what they have done how they've been you don't tell someone you are you or you have something severely wrong with you you need to that's that's going I mean, can you imagine as a human being being told that what fear that would bring to you to think like oh my goodness like it would spark so much fear they wanted to scare her it's so obvious. They wanted to scare her off into the corner because she was timid and they knew they could, they had worked before. I mean, that is so evil is the right word. It's just satanic. I know diabolical. So she goes to this rehab, which for better or worse is basically solitary confinement. She's in a room, like a padded room with a door that locks from the outside every night, every day and every night. She has no phones, no connections to the outside world. The kids come for an hour on the weekend. She said she's getting her blood pressure tested eight times, or sorry, three times per day. And this is when she starts getting put on lithium. And lithium is just the most extreme drug that you can take. It alters your mind and your body permanently. So she knew that she had to stay in this solitary confinement and she knew that she had to act like she was okay because if she acts bad, then she needs to stay longer. So she had to act as good as possible so she could get out. But how can you act like you're okay when you're literally in prison? Um, this is one of my favorite quotes of the book. She said, the hardest part was that I believed in front of the doctors or visitors, I had to pretend the whole time I was okay. If I became flustered, it was taken as evidence that I wasn't improving. If I got upset and asserted myself, I was out of control and crazy. It reminded me of what I'd always heard about the way that they would see if someone was a witch in the olden days. They'd throw the woman into a pond. If she floated, she was a witch and she'd be killed. If she sank, she was innocent and, oh well, she was dead either way. But I guess they figured it was still good to know what kind of woman she'd have been. I was like, okay, Brittany, the author, go off. Like that hit my core. Yeah. That just, so she was in solitary confinement and that's what I'm calling it because that's what it was for three months. 
Um, absolutely what it is. Which is just horrible. And But this is when we get the first light of sunshine. So one of the nurses at towards the end of her stay shows her on the computer that people are wearing free Britney shirts. Which I need to – that nurse needs – Oh my like, god! I'm gonna give her my salary for the rest of my life. That nurse is an angel. I want to meet that nurse. I stand that nurse. We support her. And it was like, really powerful when Brittany talked about that because just imagine how alone you feel. And she would try to call her family. Her family wouldn't even talk to her while she was in this confinement. And she's at this point, she's been in the conservatorship for probably ten years. Nobody knows about it. And then she's starting to see free Brittany shirts. I can't imagine how that felt. Shifting moment of hope for her. That was probably like, okay, maybe things will get better. That had to have been the little ray of light she was looking for. Yeah. So she gets out of solitary confinement and everyone's acting normal, like her family. Jamie Lynn. This part pissed me off so much. Jamie she just Lynn. pisses me off in general. Oh, oh my God. Know. Okay. So Jamie Lynn is basically saying, like, taking all these TV meetings. As soon as Britney comes out of solitary confinement, Britney's like, oh, let's do a TV show about this. Like, Britney's trying to, like, start a TV show for them. And that just, like, really annoyed me, just how much of a leech Jamie Lynn is. And Britney even reached out to her while she was in solitary confinement. And Jamie Lynn just said, like, you have to just power through and gave her nothing. Forget Britney Spears. Forget Jamie Lynn Spears. It's your sister. Your sister needs you. I don't understand where the basic level of human compassion is lost in this family. Yeah. So then she, this, at this point, this is when she gets a lot of momentum to find her own lawyer. And she didn't realize that she was allowed to have her own lawyer or one that she wanted. And she finally, she gets the courage and she calls 911 in June, 2021 and reports her father for conservator abuse and addresses the judge and pretty shortly after she gets her own her new lawyer icon um his name is escaping me right now <laughs> matthew last Math- name can't think of but his name is matthew his it's name something is matthew. jewish so and we love he, him very much i can see his face right now love him so he gets her out of the conservatorship and the rest of the book, she's just talking about how grateful she is for her freedom and grateful to the people that stood up for her because so much of her and, and that conservatorship and getting out of it, I think, can be attributed to the fans. The fans, 100%. And it just shows you that, like, sometimes, sometimes, not always, but sometimes the internet can be used for good sometimes. And this, I think, was one of those moments for sure. Yeah. So when did you first hear about Free Britney? Um, I actually want to say I started to see it because, you know, when you're being a fellow Stan girly, you know, of when course. you kind of latch on to one, whether it's Britney or Ariana, whoever it is, you start to see the algorithm is, is catered to you. So you kind of catch things before the general public will. And the free Britney would start to pop up discreetly every now and then with like an Instagram picture saying something's not right here. And there was a little bit of skeptic. I was a little bit skeptical in the beginning that, okay, maybe this is just because we all are overly concerned. I mean, I know something's definitely not right, but I kind of need to see this play out a little bit. I need more facts. And the more and more things were started to point out, like little details of things that did not add up, um, even just the look in her eyes, sometimes seeing her talk to someone, someone looking at her off in the side of the camera, just weird moments like that, it became very apparent that something was way more severe than what we all had kind of wrapped our head around. And once I found out about it, I bought the shirt. I was talking to everyone about it. I was posting it probably once or twice a day on my story. And while yes, one Instagram post can't change a life, it was more about getting the conversation started. And I think Mm -hmm. it definitely, the goal was definitely achieved for sure. 
I remember seeing it on Twitter. Like, see, I followed this one account. It was account. Twitter for me too, yeah. It was like this pop culture account on Twitter. I can picture their um, like profile picture in my head. But she, this girl, she would post like, she would do threads, every like big, long threads, like a couple, of, like a week. And I remember seeing a free Britney one and just like fully not believing it. And like reading the stuff about it and just, be, just being like, that can't be true. It just can't be. Like, there's no way. It sounds so crazy. Like, it how can't could, be. How could, some, how could that even be allowed? Because Britney was everything. Like, she's everywhere. And like, she just kind of like, I mean, she wasn't, she didn't stay like how she was in the late 90s, like through the late 2010s. Like her career evolved, but she was on X Factor. I knew about her residency and she was always like guest starring in shows. I just didn't believe it. And then when it started getting a little bit more mainstream and I started seeing like the locals, like non-stay Twitter people I know posting about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And then and then it became like everywhere. And then that's when all the documentaries started. But I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts in the documentaries? Because there was a point in a three-month period where every single streaming platform had a Britney documentary. Those, because I'm a big documentary girly, I love them. But I'm not going to lie. That kind of made me lose a little bit of faith in documentaries. I just feel like, granted, I don't know everything, but the facts would, if you kind of compare and contrast, which of course I did because I'm a Britney stan and that's my life. But mm -hmm. if you compare and contrast the facts that were even brought up from each one, they weren't aligning things would be inserted in one that would contradict in the next one, but they were being released around the same month in time. So, and this is her life. These aren't, it's not yeah. a fictional story. This is someone's actual life. So I think once I started to see that things did not add up and certain plots were kind of um, promoted more on one versus the other, I kind of felt that sometimes they were hurting more than they were helping because yeah. even reading the book, some of the stuff in the documentary is saying the exact opposite than what the book her own words say so i don't know if they necessarily were a big help in my opinion the documentaries i don't feel that they were i think that they definitely went a little bit too far because there were just so many of them but i also do think so much of the conservative conservatorship can be attributed to people advocating for it and like pressure like public pressure from the public well and i may i have to point this out i've been itching to say this that there is one documentary, if anybody has any interest after this in going and watching a Britney documentary that I highly recommend because I feel Britney did get that glimpse of getting to show the true darkness of what really was happening. And it's called For the Record. It came out in 2008, right after she had just gotten out of the 5150 hold and she performed at the VMA Circus had just come out. And it's basically 30 days following her up to returning. It's her comeback story to the VMAs. Yeah. And I don't know if you, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you, have I you do. seen that one? Yeah, I haven't seen it, but actually today I was watching one of the documentaries, the Hulu one. Sorry. Well, th this one is a very, it's, it's, it's Britney interviews are actually, and the cameras follow her directly. Yeah. Um, there's a scene where they let her drive her car and it was like a treat and it was a surprise. This is in 2008. And I just remember her bawling and being so excited to get a driver car down a dirt road. And and then she, she was telling people around her, you know, the things that people would think would come so easy to me don't. It's the, it's the, it's the simple things that I can't get. And it just, I remember seeing like then like help this woman, help her. And that was 2008. Yeah. So there have been signs. There have been signs for sure. There definitely have been signs. And because there was so much negativity around her because it almost just felt like, I think I, I remember thinking, oh, Brittany's crazy. Like she's off the deep end. Like she shaved her head. She hit a paparazzi with an umbrella. Like 
that I feel like when people heard about the conservatorship, because it wasn't a secret, like the conservatorship no. was never a secret. Mm -hmm. Like they did interviews about the conservatorship and just no one really batted an eye because it almost, it seemed necessary. Necessary. It but I seemed think that's kind of way. what they wanted. It helped cover it up to think there was something wrong because the media, the, the general public could say, yeah, but look at this, 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 and this. No one was showing the good moments. So yeah. it kind of created the perfect cover-up story. The media, the paparazzi kind of worked hand in hand with making this conservatorship happen. The paparazzi, oh my God, I hope they all die. So I, I, then, I, these people need yeah. serious therapy. All of them. One other quote that I can't remember what page it's on, so I can't pull it up, but was because it sounds so like, I feel like I'm trying to, maybe I'm making up a memory that I have. Like when I remember hearing I about the conservatorship, yeah. like in hearing like her father is overseeing her finances and overseeing her health. And like, you think like, oh great, like perfect. It's her dad. Like, it's of course, blood. like, yeah. like nobody loves you more than like your own dad. Like that's great. And then when you really look at it, Brittany at one point in the book says like, I cannot believe the state of California let a man who's an alcoholic and has been bankrupt three times, can't keep a business, oversee a multi-million dollar estate. He, she like, wanted anybody. She said literally anybody but him she would have been okay with. That is insane. It makes the state of California like so, oh my God, like look so stupid. Like how could you let this man that has no Sloppy. experience, he's fumbled every bag he's ever been given. He's been bankrupt. He's an alcoholic. You're going to let him oversee her makes estate. you wonder, did they even look into his personal background? I mean, don't you think, I don't know much about how the process goes behind the scenes, but wouldn't you think that if he's going to be in charge of multi-million dollars, they need to really dig into his history as much as they're digging into hers because he's going to be the new brain for the operation. Yeah. From what I understand, the process of implementing the conservatorship was extremely smooth. And I believe she said that in the memoir, like it all happened really fast. It all happened really quiet. It just happened. And I, this like begs the question to me, it's like giving Paris again. Like I bet like those judges had some sort of like bias against Brittany and they're like, oh yeah, lock this bitch up. Another girl, another, another pop girl, media girl that is influencing, you know, the girls across America, we can make an example. It's like burning a witch at the stake. It's exactly it's what it It's literally like. a witch hunt, burning a witch at the stake because, day. so, oh my God, who do you think is like the ultimate to blame here is it her dad or the paparazzi or like what do you think attributed to her perceived downfall i picture the first instinct might be saying the media because you know it's the media but and i still blame the media for a good chunk of it majority of it but the media has no emotional attachment to her they don't know her they don't know who she is it's sometimes people hurt people that they don't know because it's easier because they don't have any attachment so they can they can sleep at night and justify where it may have made sense but your own father mm -hmm. that gave, literally helped create you and bring you to this earth for them sleeping at night knowing that they are doing a lot of very wrong and very diabolical things to me that is probably the purest form of modern day evil to me i think so too um so Brittany now, like, what do you think of her current Instagram presence? Because I, it's not so, normal. It's not, it's not normal at all. I, you know, okay. So after reading, okay, not going to lie to you before I have thoughts, because before reading this book, there were some eyebrow moments as we all had. Um, 
a lot of moments people would send me on Instagram, what do you think? And I, I would start to run out of answers of what I felt to justify it. And I couldn't justify it anymore. And that was when I started to realize, okay, there's some moments here that it's not okay. It's not, it's concerning, but you know, like for example, the spinning, like I will mm-hmm. bring this up because this is kind of a hot topic one, how she's always spinning around in her videos as we all know. Yeah. Um, Brittany's been spinning her whole career. I mean, that's yeah. like her go-to as someone that used to love dance. We all have our little mannerisms of, you know, like for me, like I loved, I think spinning a hair flip, like I love a good hair flip. Like the spinning is a big Brittany staple dance move. And I feel like that isn't so much that behavior. I think people think is weird. The spinning constantly that I think is normal, but I think really Brittany talks about how she doesn't like the attention, but she also, you know, loves to be on stage and have, you know, everyone watch her. I think that everyone ruined for her performing the meet, like, you know, all the people around her with all of this that she went mm-hmm. through, they, they took away the joy of performing and art of dance and music. And I think the Instagram is kind of her feeling like, Oh, let me control the narrative and let me just show my passion and let me like make it as simple as I am. And I do feel that it's not all as concerning as we make it out to be. However, we also have to think if you went through a conservatorship for 13 years, your life kind of went on pause. So she didn't get to like naturally grow and evolve like the rest of us do as human beings. So there are going to be some social cues or some things that are not going to be up to speed. She didn't even have a phone for a good mm-hmm. 13 years. So yeah, I do think it's natural that there are some moments of um, questionability and the behavior. But I, I, I feel that she's better off than what she was for sure. I do think so. Yeah, I agree with that. I I get what you're saying, yeah, about performing. Because she says that in the memoir. She's like, I truly and genuinely love to perform. And all of that was just, like, taken away. And I think she just misses what the joy that it used to bring her. It's not yeah. for other people. It's more for herself. So what is going on with Sam Ashgari? You know, so that I have thoughts about. Because, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I feel like we all felt this when I first saw them together. It didn't seem right. There was just something about it that just felt, and I, I don't know what it was really. Um, it wasn't a physical thing. It was more of just something didn't add up to me. He just it didn't. And the way they met on the slumber party music video, he was a dancer on one of her songs, slumber party. It was back in 2013, I believe. And it was just a dancer on the video of kind of did background stuff. It seemed a little like he was, and I want to say, like everyone else, I feel like he did kind of prey on her innocence at the time. And I think she was, this is when she was starting to kind of get a little bit more vocal. And I feel like he was maybe, he said the right things at the right time. But I do feel that in my opinion, he was, he's a cash cow. And I feel Mm -hmm. that he, because let me just say, if anyone doesn't know, he's currently staying in one of the most elite apartments in Los Angeles that I believe the rent is $10 million a month. And do you want to know who's paying that rent right now? It's pretty that's awful. About 10 million. It may be a million. I don't know. But the point is the it's millions that a month. She has one more person on her payroll. And, and then he has the nerve to go and do these interviews and say, you know, I just wish her the best and I hope everyone treats her well. And I'm like, okay, so you say this, but then you know what she just went through with having no control over even her basic finances, but you feel comfortable laying your heads out at night, having her pay your millions of dollars of rent that you would not have been able to have said, uh, been able to afford it doesn't it doesn't add up too many red flags 
these men are just cowards. Like with Kevin Federline too. I saw something. One of her sons like just turned 18 and his yeah. child support money was being slashed, obviously, because the kid turned 18. And it's just As like. anyone was. And seeing that figure, like the number, like, and I'm like, oh my God, she has been paying that for this many years. Them doesn't even get to see them. They won't even speak to her. As far as I've been informed, she can't even, they don't speak to her. They want, and they were, and they were very upset with the book, her sons. But, you know, I don't blame the sons as much because they are being told a lot of things by their father who is not letting them see their mother. And they have a lot of people in their ear and they're still growing and evolving. It's just yeah. so sad what is being told to them. I wish they would just give their mother a chance to to really like show who she is. Cause I think we can all see it. Why can't they? I don't know. I would love to know what the sons think or what you know they live like. in Hawaii, right? You know, he took them and moved to Hawaii. I don't know if you knew that. But I did they, not know that six months ago, he up and left. And he told them two days before they were going to leave Los Angeles. This is a known fact that actually, um, that she was informed two days before that they were moving to Hawaii with his new wife and kids. And she didn't get to say goodbye to them. So that is updated as of this year. That was this summer. So that gives you an idea. Like, has she not been through enough? Like, she did all of this to, like, fight for her kids and to be with her kids. And now her kids won't talk to her. Even the opening of the book, this is for my boys. I mean, what is the opening page? Yeah. The dedication to her boys that she loves so much. So she doesn't see her kids at all? At all. No. As far as it's been um, informed in the last few months, she does not. Or even speak to them. It's truly just infuriating. This whole book has been just like an infuriating ride. And it's like, it pains me to think about what would happen if there was no conservatorship. Like, what do you think would happen if there was no Kevin, no conservatorship, no nothing? Where do you think she'd be? Being a human being, I'm not Britney Spears and I've not lived the life that she's lived, but being close to 30-ish, a human being... I can say everything I've learned, I've had to make the mistakes. I've had to have the trial and error as it's corny as it sounds. The bad things help, you know, educate you for the good. It makes you the good, the bad appreciates, I'm sorry, the bad makes you appreciate the good moments, but we all have to make mistakes. It's trial and error. And I think if people would have allowed her to maybe just go through some of those mistakes and not burn her at the stakes, as so you would say, I feel it could have all played out more naturally because she is just a human being. She's not a robot. And I feel the control, the over control she had her life being too in control, I think is what made things go out of control so quickly. Yeah. It's awful, but I sounds like she's doing well. Um, but I'm just, yeah, it was a really hard read. I'm not going to lie. It was honestly like painful. <laughs> I really, I read it in one day and I really wish I wouldn't have because I could not sleep at night. And I am not even kidding. Like people not have read the book might be like, okay, it's because you just love her. It has nothing to do with that. It is basic needs and rights that a human being should have being stripped away from them in front of yeah. the world. Yeah. Uh, well, any closing thoughts on Brittany or wait, very quickly, will you tell your story at your her Vegas residency? Oh yes, I would. I would love to. This is um, one of my proudest, well, scariest, but proudest moments. Um, so my whole life, obviously being a Britney fan, my mom would always joke like, you know, around my birthday would be around Christmas. What do you want for your birthday? Every single year, I want to meet Britney Spears, and I would always say it kind of as a joke, but kind of not, obviously. And then when I turned eighteen, I said it again, and my mom was like, "Okay, we'll talk about it in a few days." And I was like, "What?" I was like, what do you mean we'll talk about it every day? She's like, we'll talk about it in a few days. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what that's about, but whatever. Sus. Um, and then it was about three days later, I happened to check my email 
and my mom, she told me to check my email and there was a meet and greet for Britney Spears in Las Vegas at her piece of me residency. My mom was going to fly me out to Las Vegas, Aww. which it cost a $2,500. Um, I point that out because I feel like that's a pretty high price to, you know, for a concert ticket for one person. Cause I went by yeah. myself. But it was absolutely worth all my childhood fulfillment, and we flew to Las Vegas, and I met Britney Spears, which was my lifelong dream that I had always wanted. And ironically enough, I sat at the very end of the stage in the VIP booth, and none other than Britney's partner in time, Paris Hilton, sat right next to me with Nikki Hilton, and they noticed I was by myself, and... They were like, oh, just hang out with us. Uh, me and Paris did this little sachet, like, twirl dance during Toxic. Brittany came down and, you know, talked to Paris a few times throughout the show, and I was right next to her, so it kind of got that one-on-one. And Paris is, by the way, one of the sweetest people I've ever met, just in general. She's so warm, and her energy is so – I was so not even nervous to talk to her because she's so down-to-earth. Um, but as for Brittany, a few of us – so Fee, Felicia, who's brought up in this book, was mm-hmm. there, and she coordinated the meet-and-greets. Wow. I will say was one of the most – down-to-earth Southern hospitality, you know, sweet little cute lady. We love her. We love Fee. And she was, like, showing us pictures on her phone of, like, Brittany and her, like, having slumber parties over the years. Like, she's such a sweet lady. I really do feel she loves Brittany. I feel it's genuine. Um, So Fee kind of took us back to meet Brittany, but I never will forget walking around the corner looking at Brittany. And, of course, you know, your body just kind of goes in shock because she's right there and you've loved her your whole life. But it was almost like the lights are on, but nobody's home. And this is yeah. around the time she was on the lithium. And I did not know this then. And I remember her kind of like robotically. Hi. And I said, hi, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. And um, then someone off to the side yelling, don't hug her. Stand approximately this far away and then turn. And it was very like, almost like programmed the whole experience. So then, you know, you take the picture and I turned and looked at her and said, I love you so much. You know, you, you meant so much to me. Um, it didn't feel real. It didn't feel like she was there. It felt like yeah. it was a cardboard cutout. And then I remember walking out of the, the room that she was in and opening the double doors and running right into none other than Satan Swan himself, um, Jamie Spears. Ugh. And I remember, I kid you not, feeling this horribly cold. I know it sounds so dramatic, but this bad presence. You know, you just feel somebody is a bad yeah. And I remember saying, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, Jamie. Nice to see you. And he goes, yeah, you should be sorry. And he walked by. What? And it was just like, it was horrible. And it was I was an 18-year-old, very nervous kid. And, it, and I remember just being kind of disappointed and sad. And then I walked up to the stairs, and the other girls were up there crying that had just met her. And they were like, you know, we waited our whole life for this. Uh, so did I. And it's just, it, I love her, but it just, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't what we thought it would be. And I remember saying, you guys, I don't think it's her fault. I don't know yeah. how to explain it, but I don't think it's her fault. And so for this to all come out later, it all makes so much sense now. But I still am so grateful that I even got to be in her presence. And I know she's a sweet person. It's just, it was a very, I'll never forget those moments. It was very haunting. Haunting is the right word for it. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's a crazy experience. Like, I'm so glad that you got that. And obviously, being in Paris Hilton's booth is also incredible. Incredible. Um, yeah, but Duke, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise. Like, you are literally the perfect guest for this. I'm honored that you had me on here. I'm a huge fan of this podcast. And Stop. I think you're a creative genius. Um, I've been so blessed to get to know Lily the last few months. And I am not ever letting her out of my sight. She is just as witty 
off the podcast as she is on. I think your brain is so fascinating to me. I just want to see what it looks like inside. Thank so thank you. you. Thank you so much. Me. I'm honored.